This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4 Z out of Brisbane, Australia. Hi and welcome to Only Human on Z Digital. I'm Kim. The mental health of refugees has been in the news a lot this week as a young Iranian man has died and a young woman from Somalia is in a serious condition after setting themselves on fire in two separate incidents at Nauru Offshore Detention Centre. There are approximately 2,000 vulnerable refugees and asylum seekers on Manus Island and Nauru. Both of the victims in this case were young, in their 20s, and had spent up to five years in detention. These people have already been through a great deal. Many have fled war and persecution. Some have already suffered trauma. Medical professionals have condemned Australia's offshore detention centres as places of torture. Amanda Gordon from the Australian Psychological Society says, There is a substantial body of research that speaks to the psychological damage that can be caused by indefinite detention, especially to young people. This week, I'm talking to Lois and Erica, who are counsellors at QPAST, the Queensland Program of Assistance to Survivors of Torture and Trauma. Um, My name's Lois Whiteman. I'm one of the clinical services managers at QPAST, very involved in the professional development um, and training of staff internally and externally and supervision of our clinical staff. Hello, my name is Erica Fernandez. I'm a senior practitioner and specialist children um, counsellor advocate. Mm-hmm. It is not just the counselling aspects of the work that is important, but systemic work and that involves a lot of advocacy. Mm-hmm. We both work for QPAST, which is the Queensland Program of Assistance to Survivors of Torture and Trauma. The distinction I often make is when in the short term, people are in survival mode. So the, the natural human instinct for survival, which is, you know, the fight, flight, or freeze. Um, so people are, you know, running um, from places. They they may experience physical injuries due to things that have happened in in the war, lack of food, lack of water, exhaustion from the, their their flight. In could be in a state of shock or actually coping in apparently well in that survival mode, um, distressed but but managing. Often um, longer term, when people have a secure base, when they're, they're, they know that they're safe physically and emotionally, that's often when the longer term effects of trauma may start to play out um, and they may get symptoms of what we call post-traumatic stress disorder, re-experiencing of some of the horrific things that they've been through and needing a different kind of support. So it really it, um, depends on levels of safety and also the 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 variability I guess of the conditions that they're in at the time. And I think the resourcefulness of people. I think Mm -hmm. for the if people are well resourced before fleeing emotionally but also in material resources they're most likely to have safer journeys and and be able to buy uh, some protection Mm -hmm. while if people are very under resourced then they have much tougher journeys and and I think, yeah, the first instance sometimes is often this connection and managing to get to safety. And often when people are starting to build safety is when they may get overwhelmed and start re-experiencing the trauma. What sort of things predict more long-term mental health problems? Mm. Well, I can talk about children, and I think that's one thing that started to be highlighted in, a, in the Australian context. And it's the amount of trauma but also when their trauma happens and what protective factors had been around the family and the child when the trauma happened. And also the children's um, capacity for 
containing the, the overwhelming impact of, in their emotion, on their psyche. So it, it, there are many variables, but they could be very long term. And if children have grown in refugee camps, uh, not only experience the trauma from the parents, they can also have what we call developmental trauma, where they fail to thrive or they fail to develop like a, like a, a child in a safe environment would develop. So that's the sort of thing we're seeing in the changing centers. Yes, right now, and that's the things that we, a good percentage of the children and young people that we support have quite severe tra- traumatization that takes a very comprehensive and a very long-term treatment uh, and support to heal. With adults, in a way, there's a parallel to what Erica says. Um, one of the, the indicators can be, what was the person's life like before the trauma? And people generally who have had a, a reasonably stable life, not only physically but emotionally, often have a, are in a resource to deal with all the different things of life even perhaps some of those ones that can overwhelm coping temporarily, they then can be drawn on. Those who may have had long-term experiences in refugee camps, for example, or been living in a country where war and disruption and dislocation and displacement have been going on for most of their lives, often again haven't had those kind of stable resources. Sometimes, um, even if there has been stability in a country, there can be the usual sorts of things that we see in every society where families, because of loss or difficulties that someone's had in an early childhood, they may already have some pre-existing trauma. And if that hasn't been resolved in some way, then when traumas get added on top of that, it can actually exacerbate and lead to complex um, post-traumatic reactions, complex grief reactions, more severe, perhaps depressions and anxiety um, and cognitive issues, the whole the whole gamut that goes with that. I'm thinking, and you probably deal with a lot, the effect of being in detention for a long time and not mm. knowing, and also in the community, mm. not knowing what's going to happen mm. to you. Does mm. that compound the difficulties of trying mm. to recover from trauma? Absolutely. I mean, to even outside of the detention context, what person, a person's experience is like in settlement, um, you know the housing, the 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 cultural sensitivity of services, the experience at schools, the community experience, um, and the political environment yeah. as well. I think that, and that's I think something that we can affect, and and that's why I think we take the opportunity to speak and and. The more um, compassion a community offers people that have gone through a difficult situation, that the more likely that they are to to start feeling safe. Yeah. A key um, a point in that is when when we think about war, these kinds of traumas, they're, they're trauma that's occurred at the hands of other humans, mm. and so that can destroy. The ability to to trust, the sense of betrayal is enormous. The the sort of oppression and discrimination. So when we think about recovery, it's all the opposite of those yes. those sorts yeah. of things. So providing a sense of dignity, the sense of safety in all um, forms, predictability, these all these well being things that that a whole society can make a big difference yes. in, not just a service like you Yeah, passed. so and that's why we work very systemically, not just with the person that gets referred in the case of children, but with the context of the child, the family, with the schools. We, have, we aim to provide a very holistic response, not just a one-to-one, but a collective, trying to educate the community and, uh, 
and create the spaces. It's almost like the conditions created the harm in the child and in the family, and then creating the conditions in the community for the child, the family to, to heal. I think it's crucial that we work closely mm-hmm. um, so connected. When you, when you come to a new country, obviously mm-hmm. there's not an instant community for you to be part of. So really yeah. you've got to go to the places where you can find other people that you can connect with. When some groups come, sometimes there have been established communities mm-hmm. um, from previous migrations or whatever that may host that. There may also be differences there. It's, it's um, it, it, There's variability, I guess, in the way that works. But all together, how, how we host um, people makes a huge difference to, to people's well-being. To, to make a comment um, in, when you're questioning particularly about detention, the, um, the FAST network, of which QPAST is a par- uh, part, has had a long-term, held a long-term position of not supporting mandatory detention, um, particularly those who've experienced trauma for obvious reasons. Often trauma has occurred in in prisons and locked up situations and small spaces and so on. There's up to 15 years of research now that that kind of supports that. And it's certainly our our practical experience of working with asylum seekers and those who have obtained permanent visas but have had a detention experience. Our experience is their mental health outcomes. I mean, the the degree of um, suicide risk and ideation and the severity of their post-traumatic symptoms. uh, our stats, actually, I've just looked at them for the last year, are showing marked increases, particularly in the area of children and young people, which, of course, is, is um, it shows the flow-on effects um, of of that. Of the broader picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that, and mm. often you'll then see some of of that come out in the long term. So this may be data that's related to those who now have permanent visas, mm. but many of those have been through detention. We work with. Um, models, I guess, of working which are culturally sensitive and focus around trauma models. And I guess the simplest ways to explain that is you need to establish safety first. So there's a lot of work that goes into how we receive a person that we don't, you know, push them into talking about their traumas or or whatever. We have to create a safe um, environment and that's the relationship also with with their counsellor or their therapist in order for them to, to build that trust and for them to be able to talk about whatever needs they have. So often people will talk about very practical things to start with and we can facilitate communication with services that may be able to meet those needs if it's you know a question about housing or or um, enrolling for, for a school or, or whatever it may be. But they're all very important to establish Very, safety, yes. And, mm. and so I guess that goes back to mm. Erica's point of that we work systemically. Mm. We don't take a person's situation out of their context and we help, we track with them they lead us to the parts of their life that they're actually concerned about and bit by bit that builds up mm. too often where people are where we are sort of talking more about some of the core areas of their trauma but that can take years sometimes yeah, as well I, I think the overarching model it's called uh, um, it's something that we share among the fast agencies which is uh, the three-phasic uh, trauma recovery model. And we start with safety, and that can take a long time to establish safety and to get the person to start wanting to face. And so the second stage of, of uh, then is um, doing the grieving and the, the processing the trauma. And the final stage is like uh, the reconnection with their own 
resources. Uh, all through, we keep building the internal resources of the person and the external resources that will form safety. And then finally, when a person it's feel like they start looking towards the future, they are settled or they start looking and reconnecting with their culture. There's a point where they no longer need our support and mm-hmm. they are having that that's the the ideal kind of process. Mm. They, it changes with time and with different levels of traumatization, mm. how long it takes or how much the person can engage. Also, when there is mental health issues, then we require to work very closely with mental health services. Mm. And, and in that, um, for example, if there are symptoms, you mentioned flashbacks or nightmares, if that's happening and that's current, that's now, we'll work with that. That's distressing the person at the moment so to to to, uh, part of that can be helping people understand why it is they have that that you're not crazy this is a normal human reaction to incredibly abnormal circumstances that you know and that's part of your survival mode and that those are arising is because your your inner self is is trying to heal and recover from that and then working with that to help a person feel safe so that they can express that and find ways um, sometimes to to help soothe themselves, calm themselves down if there's severe panic that could go with that. So learning some self-management techniques, isn't it? Yeah. That's part of it. One of the the other things Mm -hmm. that we talk about a lot in in trauma work is bearing witness and the power of actually having someone, even if it's in the privacy of the counselling room, to bear witness to your experience, to validate it, Mm. to not minimise or deny it because so many things of what people go through are are unbelievable. Mm. It's you know, it can seem unbelievable to the everyday person in, in the street. And to have a place where that actually can be said and where that can be felt and someone can keep you safe if you feel like you're emotionally um, falling apart because that, that's what it can feel like, that is the, under, the real underlying healing. And it can happen in many ways because we're all, we're yeah. all different. It can happen in groups and sometimes we run groups. Women's groups are very powerful or there's the X-Men, there's mm-hmm. a number of groups. Exercise that is parallel, groups. Yeah, that is yeah. parallel to the therapeutic one-to-one because many of the cultures that we work with are collective cultures and healing happens through rituals and in collective ways as well. Mm-hmm. So we try to find familiar ways in which people can maintain their healing practices but also as well as the therapeutic work that can be done. And we're always aiming to learn better ways that are more closely connected with what resonates with that person's uh, fr- way of looking at the world or viewing mm. it. Mm. And making friends and friends can be yeah. mutually supportive. Yeah, mm. I think for mm. children, group work is very, very powerful. Mm. We have a number of groups. You know, there's, of course, everybody's unique, but we're all human beings and our, our, our nervous systems, as Erica mm-hmm. was saying, our, our ways of being, we might, it might look different. We might understand it or we might speak about it in different ways. And that's our, mm. our task to find the right way to communicate with someone. But there's a lot of universality. Yeah. In being human, there's many ways of healing. And that's that's part of my, I think, our curiosity as yeah. a working place is finding out all the possible ways in which we can contribute. And it all adds up. Mm. And people can learn new ways because sometimes all we have to offer is what we know. And, and once it is a relationship, a safe relationship, people are open to what we have to offer as well. Because it may not be what's familiar for them, but they're open because there is trust in trying new resources. Yeah. That's what I mean by resources, finding ways to do things and to carry whatever people carry. And one of the things, um, Erica and I mm-hmm. are actually working on some training around cultural sensitivity mm-hmm. at 
the moment. And I think one of the things that, that can be very mm. rich is we can't know everything about every culture inside and out. Exactly. Like to a really, we, we haven't gone and lived there. But also there are huge differences within each mm. culture, as there are in ours. How I might express myself might mm. be very different to someone else's because we we have all a myriad of ways in which we understand and and it relates to our values and there can be lots of differences there but one of the rich parts of the work is sometimes not knowing it all mm. because that enables you to have a conversation with clients yeah. where they can feel that you're really interested to understand where they're coming from and how they say their story how they how they talk about their their beliefs and they love it that we don't make generalizations about their culture because mm. that happens way too many oh, times yeah, and sometimes that bridge then that we make between our world and their world there's an interesting thing that happens yeah, in I that think, space that might mm. be sometimes better than than if it, if we all had just the same perspective. and i think it it's i often see it as a two-way thing i feel that this work has the potential to enrich us as workers in yeah. ways that it's not possible to have in any other way. It is like uh, incredible opportunities for, for growing and learning different ways of being. And in thinking of the broader picture about people from different cultures coming into Australia, well, that's always been happening, that the cultures are always evolving and changing. And as a framework for a stance to have, uh, to have a stand of solidarity, of thinking of, well, these people that... Is, it's been shown a little bit on the television about some places where Syrian refugees are going and people are waiting with, for them oh, with, lovely, with what they it? can mm. offer. Mm. Yeah, and it, mm. I think that's what I wish people in mm. coming into Australia that for the community. If we welcomed. can encourage people mm. to think about how, if this is with us going into and in this in their shoes, exactly. what kind of solidarity we would like to mm. um, receive, and if we can offer that to people. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Mm. And seeking help, and particular institutions sometimes can be very uh, barriers. If people had have traumatic experience around being per persecuted or being having bad experiences with the police or any any institutions, it'd be really hard to approach somewhere where you know we sit there and we take notes or any of those things can be perceived. So we have to be extremely sensitive to how the fears that people come in and the, the incredible courage that it takes to front up somewhere. Mm. Like when we get self-referrals, it's, mm. it's probably taking an enormous amount of courage to, yeah. uh, or to accept being referred. And uh, people often talk about we, we, how nerve-wracking it is coming, showing up to the first mm. session. Because mm. one mm. of the things with trauma is the, when, when they're re-experiencing, the, you know, being flooded, you could say with... Um, not just memories, but as if it was happening again. That's a, you know a flashback or nightmares. The natural inclination with it, mm. with, it, with all of us is not go there. Like you know, mm. push it out of the way, keep it keep it under wraps. But of course, you can get stuck in a vicious cycle. So to actually step out of that, I think mm -hmm. that really is difficult. So that's an internal thing, and we really try and present um, QPast as a outside of sort of the biomedical model of mental illness because even in an Australian society, everyday society, there's this stigma associated with, with mental health and sometimes there's 
particular stigma mm. about, oh, you know, that means you're crazy or whatever. And if, if that's known in, in the community, that can be quite a barrier mm. to actually accessing a service that, that may be different. So we do a lot of work with community um, communities themselves, community leaders, to talk about how we work and to understand the effects of trauma, to break down that barrier so their members feel comfortable about so coming. So more acceptance in yeah, the yeah. cultural community? Or yeah, yes, we're, we're both. If an individual in the family, or perhaps even the whole family, has experienced mm. trauma, um, how does that affect the family functioning mm. or mm. the one person having PTSD affected the rest of the family? Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. <laughs> Short answer, <laughs> sure it, it, it does. Um, yeah, we, we see that quite often. Um, and even um, in often my focus, the focus of my work is the children. And sometimes the children have been born here, but... The, if there's been severely traumatized parents, that can be what we call um, secondary traumatization or vicarious traumatization, and to the point of the child influencing the child development. And so we need to work with the child, but also support the parent mm -hmm. and find the right uh, the support for the parent to re reattach and, and form a healthy connection with mm -hmm. the child. Trauma affects attachment, and not only to the children, but also between partners. Mm. So we do a lot of work with with families, where some people see the children, some people see the the wife and the husband. Sometimes, what what is the issue is one or both parents may have their own trauma, and they were great parents. They had great family systems good bonding mm. and whatever, but the trauma has interfered with that. If you're not mm. sleeping, if you're re-experiencing trauma, your your um, tolerance for mm. noise mm. gets worse, so, you know, then outbursts of anger or kids have to be, you know, be quiet. And emotionally, their parents can't be mm. there to do that very, very important work that all children need to, you know, to, yeah. as Erica was saying, so that we'd look and see, okay, do we think that there's trauma work there? And then we'd see if we could engage the parent or, or parents for their own counselling there, as well as sometimes then seeing how do we support them with their parenting? Or does the child have significant trauma themselves and, and need actually trauma counselling, which someone yeah. like Erica does? So we try and look at where are the best interventions in the family. And sometimes if the, the child is the, the, the one that have experienced the trauma or is manifesting the post-traumatic stress or we would if it's short-term a couple of incidents of trauma sometimes that can be easily resolved but sometimes if they're very complex trauma the child is traumatized the parents are traumatized that will require the family and a number of, of interventions and uh, sometimes we work with families that are involved in three different teams you know yeah. like there's the adult counseling team the children's and youth team and the families teams we're all working and we mm. collaborate in the way we support the families yeah, and that that nice. work is effective yeah. but if we work with only one part of the system then that you know it's not it's not, not real um, change in the fleeing of one's country coming to a very different culture often roles in the family can change if we think about the rate of learning English for example often the children you know go to school are picking that up yeah. the parents if they're traumatized too it's going to be much more difficult to learn English so children then gain some power uh, the dad who may have always been the the breadwinner is not able to work, so the loss of that kind of status and and position in the family, these can all change the dynamics. And while there may not be tra specific trauma there, or that in itself in a way can be a trauma for a family, but needing to be to work and, and um, have a place where people can air and look at those things and we can help families draw on 
Yes, it's changed circumstances, but what can we draw on to, to recreate and they can rebuild our family where all family members are valued mm. again? Someone wants to make a referral of someone they know or someone themselves, you know, who, who's a refugee experience. We have we have um, a duty counsellor on roster all the time. People can pop in or, or ring up. We've got a number of different teams um, and the family workers are there. That's working with people with permanent visas. Um, we have the children and youth team, which work with children from about the age of... 4 to four. 12 is my age yeah. group. And then there and then is also 12 to 25. And and mm -hmm. so there are counsellor advocates there. We also have youth support workers who go out to schools to just meet mm -hmm. young people, get to know them, hear what's going on. You know, you've got to find your, your ways to kind of help people have access to the services. Mm -hmm. In that team, we also have Homework Club, which is a really important service. And if um, any students or people would like to volunteer to be tutors for, yes. for Homework Club, we always need them. We support them really well. And it's a wonderful, positive part of the service because you can see the eagerness um, of, of young people, you know, to learn and make it here in this, you know, in this new country. We have a communities team where, which is responsible for um, organising a lot of our professional development to external services, where there are community development workers um, and group workers. So that's sort of that broader systemic We also have approach. A, a worker that goes to the schools and that's, that's right. a whole school approach. Yeah. helps the school develop strategies and ways of welcoming children but also supporting children that have experienced trauma. And QPAST is actually a Queensland-wide service. We have a worker in Cairns, Townsville. Uh, we're hoping to have one in Rockhampton where that position's vacant at the moment. We have a, a, an outreach team in Logan and we also serve as the Gold Coast. We have a worker in Toowoomba. Places where we don't have workers if there are, um, are refugees in that community, we'll often support services there to, with training or consultation yeah. about how they can support oh, people great. in their communities. But we've also been doing outreach. Um, we do outreach to the north side and now have an office in yep. Chermside well, that we can use. Yeah. We travel from here and also another one in Ipswich where yeah, that's like, right. some councillors yeah. go and see yeah. if, mm -hmm. um, people yeah. in those offices. Because transport often is, and costs are a, a big so issue. So we, we do quite a bit of outreach and... Um, and try to mediate that um, the lack of resources that people have. Mm. If people are in the community and are wanting to, there's many, there's a lot of information about how to support refugees. Uh, there's some they can also look into our website and look mm -hmm. up ways if they they want to offer support. But yeah, just also encouraging people in the community to think about what compassionate, what actions can we offer people that are. And, and to challenge sometimes if they see experiences of racism or people not being treated with dignity, to have the courage to challenge those practices. Mm -hmm. Particularly, I think, for children, it's, it's saddening to see that, that the, the things that are happening and the things that, they, things that children experience in the community sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's lots of people wanting just to know what they can, what do. They can do. It's really important that we all feel there are actions that we can do and not feel powerless. Right. It's positive to have a stand of curiosity and because you never know how that person may enrich your life mm -hmm. if you get to know them. And so I think particularly, you know, I'm sure that through schools, parents meet other parents and, mm -hmm. you know, like who gets invited to 
a play um, play over to their houses if you know like oh, not I to see. buy into the fear mm. yeah. that it gets projected also about certain cultures. Today I was talking to Lois and Erica, her counsellors at the Queensland Program of Assistance to Survivors of Torture and Trauma, QPAST. And you can contact QPAST on 073391-6677 or online through their website at qpastqpastt.org.au. You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.